Over the past quarter century, no program has produced more cross-country stars and national championship teams than the University of Colorado. Coach Mark Wetmore's charges included Adam Goucher, Dathan Ritzenhain, and Jenny Simpson. Last year, Danny Jones won the women's cross-country individual title and 5,000-meter track championship. The latest to carry the torch for the Buffaloes is Pac-12 champion and NCAA runner-up Joe Klecker. Joe joined us for an interview last week, and we discussed the national championship meet, running for the storied Buffs program, and his love for his home state of Minnesota's Vikings, Twins, and Timberwolves. We hope you enjoy Joe's perspective and authenticity as much as we did. Here's Joe Klecker and Mile 45 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Joe Klecker, welcome into the show. It's good to have you. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. So, Joe, before we get into NCAA Cross and your career at Colorado, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got your start in running? For sure. So, growing up, my parents were pretty, well, before I was born, they were professional runners, and as I was growing up, they were still running, and not quite as competitively, but I would see them every day getting out. And when seventh grade came around, I joined the cross-country team, as most runners do. We're at a college level now. And, yeah, so just kind of went through the middle school and high school running. Nothing too crazy, but pretty typical route to collegiate running, I'd say. Um, But, yeah, I guess they kind of, seeing them run every day when I was a young kid definitely kind of planted the seed in my mind yeah so I think you maybe undersold your your parents there a little bit uh could you tell everyone a little bit about their uh running careers because they were incredibly successful yeah um so my mom was on the 92 Olympic team for the marathon in Barcelona among many other things she was a 230 marathoner um so she was pretty successful and then my dad was 215 marathoner and also the at one point the world record holder for the 50 mile ultra marathon distance and then more recently that actually got broken by an american or it got broken by a south african athlete a few years after he said it and then it was an american record until actually last spring when an american broke it so now he has the third fastest time yeah, he was the, the American record holder there until uh, Jim Walmsley in the uh, Hoka Carbon X event in Folsom last spring. So super cool. To take a look back in the past now from the Colorado running perspective. So it's been about two decades since Chris Lear chronicled the Colorado running program in Running with the Buffaloes, a famous book that a bunch of us have read. Can you describe for us what it's like today in Coach Wetmore's program, and maybe just a little bit about how that compares your experience versus what you've read in Running with the Buffaloes and those guys in the late 90s. Yeah, so um, I'll be honest, I've never actually read the whole book. Oh, Joe! (laughs) This year, though, 
I started um, going through it, though. I, I would at this point maybe I have read the entire book. Okay. Um, because this season was actually actually I, I, I got my copy and you know I wanted to kind of follow along being in the program so I could kind of compare to twenty what three years ago now that book was written um, and it's actually pretty interesting to see all the similarities but as well as you know a lot of the differences in the program um, but the things that have stayed the same are obviously the Sunday long run um, is very similar to the book um, a lot of Coach Wetmore's sayings you know there's stuff he said 23 years ago that he would tell us today just different little things you know how to approach workouts and stuff um, but I would say the biggest difference is actually a lot of the venues that they run at over the years there's been certain places that we've kind of stopped going for different reasons um, and then new places he'll find that he'll take us to and a lot of that just has to do with Boulder growing as a city and you know certain routes getting a lot more road you know car traffic and not being as good of a training venue as maybe they were 23 years ago but yeah the the structure of the season is very similar to 23 years ago yeah so is uh, Magnolia Road still part of that so when I came to see you it was more recently actually no um because again because of the traffic and um how many runners are up there on a given Sunday and coach takes a lot of the heat for when you know the locals up there get upset about certain things you know all the runners up there blocking the road it's not a super big road to run on and when you have a group of 15 people you know people are, who live there are going to get a little upset when you're running you know five six wide and most of the reason we didn't go, don't go up there is probably on us because we do run like six wide and uh, make the, the locals up there mad. So it's been about in the last two years, maybe I think that we haven't gone up there. We'll go up there in the summer when, you know, coach isn't um, conducting the workouts. But in season, yeah, we haven't been up there for almost two years now. For all of us on the outside looking in, that's kind of an iconic run that we connect with your program. So it, it's interesting to hear how that's evolved. Uh, I know Ben wants to get in a, a little bit more about some of that training and what it's looked like this year and, and over the recent years for you. Yeah, so in your post-race interview with Let's Run on uh, Saturday, you had mentioned how like unbelievably hard you had trained this fall. Um, could you talk a little more into what that meant, what you did different than years past? Yeah, so I think every year coach is going to look at it a little differently in terms of one you have to get to the NCA you got to be healthy and in years past you know, this is the best CU team I've ever been on so I think when looking at this year as a whole coach was able to maybe look at some of the early races and think you know we might not need to necessarily be as sharp to get the Colos points or to maybe get some high-level racing experience, you know, being fresh and racing, um, you know, fresh races earlier in the season. I think we're pretty experienced this year. So I think maybe his approach to the year is a little more aggressive. Um, like, for instance, up until this year, I'd never – maybe I'd run one 20-mile long run. And I think this season I had at least – 15 weeks in a row where I would run 20 miles every Sunday. Wow. So that 
you know, obviously that takes a toll on your body. And when you're in the thick of it, you think if you rest for a day or two, you know, your legs start to feel pretty good. But I think there's a lot more that goes into tapering and recovery that can't be solved in two days. So, you know, like for the pre-national, for instance, we probably ran 20 miles, you know, five days, six days before the race and tapered up for two days, you know, travel day and pre-meet. And when you get to the starting line, you feel pretty good. And I, I don't even, I think I was maybe 10th place there, ninth place, but I just felt terrible, you know? Um, and I, I think it was just maybe because of running 20 miles, six days before, but when you're in the thick of it, you don't really realize, you know, you think you're rested and ready to go. For sure. So you had an awesome indoor season, missed the outdoor season with an injury. Is that correct? Yeah, I had a, a stress fracture reaction type deal in my uh, metatarsal. Okay, so when did that happen? And then like, when did you start running again and start the build towards this fall? Sure. Um, so I raced two outdoor races early. I did a 5K at Brian Clay, and I'd been kind of having this planter issue and it was just you know running just wasn't very going very smooth um i could feel like something wasn't right in my foot and um it was maybe a week after that so i don't know the exact day but early season you know and one day i was running and i was doing a 400 meter reps and (laughs) with two to go my foot just i couldn't even run and I, i powered through the last two reps but had to basically walk back to campus so from that day, I couldn't run for maybe four to five weeks, and I actually started up training before um, the outdoor NCA, so if I really would have tried to push it, I could have maybe run the regional since I had a qualifying mark for it, but um, Mark pulled me aside and Heather and just kind of said, you know, if we do everything right, we can have a great cross-country season if we, you know, are too aggressive and um, try to run this race and re-break your foot, who knows if you're going to be ready to go for the fall. So I was running again maybe two weeks or so before the outdoor NCA championships for track, just building up my volume again. Um, so I don't know, that was probably, I started running maybe early May or mid-May. So And then I've just been training for cross since then. You were in the lead pack the entire way this weekend at Terre Haute, but you said you weren't aggressive enough over the final 600 meters. Could you take us through your race and then also explain how that last K played out for you? Yeah. Um, So going into the race, I wanted to get up in that lead pack and kind of shadow some of the guys I knew who would be there at the end, mainly that being... Edwin Kiergott, I knew that he's raced very smart in the past when I've watched last year's races, so um, racing with him kind of gave me some good confidence, and he raced very smart, um, kind of hanging back early in that lead pack, not really showing anything, and then, yeah, about with 2K to go, I think it really started to thin out, and um, we were in, you know, those windy loops, and I remember around one of the loops, um, one of the turns, Kiergott kind of made a, a move where he started picking it up, and this is maybe about a mile or 2K to go, and he started to put maybe 10, 15 feet on us, and I wanted to 
try and go with him. And we are going around a turn, though, and the Alabama runner was on my outside, and I think maybe he slipped in some mud or wanted to you know, find a new lane of footing. I don't know if you could tell, but a lot of runners were trying, obviously you're trying to find the best footing out there because of how torn up it was, and he kind of jumped inside on the inside of the turn. and um, just, It was just enough to, you know, he, was in, he got, got in front of me, and it kind of caused me to kind of settle a little bit instead of getting up and going after Edwin Kiergott. So then we kind of raced together, me, him, and uh, Connor Mance. And all that time, though, I think Kiergott was extending his lead on us. And I think I should have been a little more aggressive at that point to try and close down the gap. Um, this was maybe with about a, yeah, like a K to go. And I just left a little too much space because it wasn't until maybe 500 to go. My coach yelled, you know, you can still win this, like get up and go. And I looked up and realized how close he really was. But in the mud, it was kind of hard to get up and really sprint. Mm -hmm. So maybe a gap that looked like something you could cover in the mud, it made it a little harder. To, to really get up and go after it. So I think I should have been a little more conscious about not letting him get that jump. And some of that might have come too from kind of doubting yourself a little bit when, you know, when you see him make that move. Obviously, he's one of the best runners in the NCA, and uh, you don't always know if you can go with it. So, so yeah, I think it was just a little bit of doubt and not being aggressive. Yeah, so going into the race, did you – as, as you plotted out and, and visualized what might happen, did you think about making the move first rather than getting in that place where you reacted to what Edwin did? Or did you even think through that space going into it? Yeah, I, I didn't really think of making a move. Um, I knew that the course conditions would be hard enough and they would force you to... Um, they would do all the attrition for you. I didn't feel like I needed to mm -hmm. get up and make a big move to try and break people because I figured the turns, the mud, the rain, all of that would kind of dwindle it down. So my biggest focus was, it was kind of similar to Pac-12's the last K. Um, I wanted to try and keep everyone right at my hip and not let them get a step on me. And... That's where uh, Kiergott kind of caught me by surprise when he made that move, and I wasn't able to match it. But racing with that pack of the Virginia Tech athlete, Connor Matz, and what Gilbert, Vincent Kiprop, yeah. I think it was, over the last K, that was my focus, was to keep them right at my hip and not let them get a step on me. So I, I, I didn't so much think of making a move as much as I did not letting anyone pass me over the last kilometer. I suspect you trust in your level of fitness that in that place, if, if you were put in this race again and, and Kurgot makes that move, that you believe you could match that move. Yeah. I mean, when I finished the race, I don't want to say I felt good, but I felt like I left something out there and I felt like in retrospect, it would have been more, you know, I would have been more satisfied with myself if I would have tried to cover his move and, and failed than race it how I did. 
I was kind of kicking myself for the last two days, just replaying that last kilometer and thinking about, you know, how different it could have been if I wouldn't have had, you know, the small moments of doubt over the last K. Yeah, that, that's easier right in hindsight, though. We often, as, as endurance athletes, as you said, kick ourselves more in the moments when we didn't reach our ultimate goal than enjoy the ones in which we're super successful. The body of work of your season as a Pac-12 champion and NCAA runner-up to think about where you were as a high school cross-country runner. Correct me if I'm wrong, but those are better finishes than you ever had in a Minnesota high school cross-country meet. Is that right? Yeah, I was never, uh, the highest I ever finished there was third. Yeah. So. Uh, what was your high school time? Best time? Um, one day I ran fifteen eleven maybe. Mm. Very very fast course out in Sioux Falls. Mm, fast track in Sioux Falls. I like the yeah. sounds of that. Uh, what was it like though? Sometimes in in Minnesota, late fall cross country season. Did you get in some nasty weather? Do you have any good memories from those races? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it got very cold. Usually the state meet was a little early. Early enough, though, that it wasn't terrible. So maybe, I think the state meet was around the first week in November. And it would just be kind of starting to get cold. But then we would always go down to um, Sioux Falls for the Nike Heartland Regional. Oh, yeah. And that was a few weeks later. And that few weeks made a huge difference in the Midwest as far as the temperature. And I remember my sophomore year this was kind of a breakout season for me I was third at the Minnesota State meet and going into the Nike regional meet I thought I maybe had a decent chance of qualifying and I don't know exactly what the temperature or the wind chill was but I'd like to say it was around 10 degrees I might be remembering it more you know I might be glorifying that but (laughs) we we went out in the race and I had gloves, hat, arm sleeves, everything. And I threw it all off 200 meters in. And after the race, I had to actually go into the medical tent because I was, I was, I thought I was having like hypothermia. I was so cold. The blood was rushing back into my hands and it was excruciating. And so that was probably my most like Minnesota, I guess, South Dakota cross country moment of just like this, this weather kind of sucks. Joe, when you tell that story to your kids in 20 years, it's going to be like 40 below windchill when you play through that thing, man. Uh, yeah. I, I would have to guess then also that that was difficult transitioning to track in the spring, the early season. I mean, you might have had the, the actual track under snow for some of those early season practices. Yeah, it, it depended on the year, but actually my sophomore year, I remember, they had to cancel almost half the season. Wow. We have this, so in Minnesota, we have this meet called the Hamlin Elite Meet, and it's kind of it's kind of like a state preview. They invite you know the top 15 or so athletes in each event um, based off their times. But this year, it's, you know, it's midway through the season. But the, the snow stayed on the track so long, we couldn't run any races before, so they didn't know how they were going to pick people to invite um, because normally they take the fastest times, but since no one had run a race because of the snow, I, I forget how they ended up inviting people for it, but it was like that week, this, you know, the snow finally melted and we were able to get on the track, but yeah, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of runs through the hallways in my high school and of, you know, 
not <laughs> it wasn't very fun to, yeah, to run like that. That was going to be my next question because with all that said, you ended up being like what a four oh five high school miler. So that mm-hmm. early season training, what what was that base work even like? Yeah, very different from college. Um, we never had an indoor season in high school or anything like that. And over the winter, I never even thought of doing a workout. It was just running, you know. We didn't have any coaching over the winter. It was basically just running every day. And some days, you know, I'd run faster, and, you know. But it was never a prescribed, you know, oh, you're going to do 10 400s today. It was more get, you know, finish my school day, put my running clothes on, and I would, you know, have certain routes that I would time and, you know, every Wednesday I'd try and run my Wednesday route faster than last week, stuff like that. The training in winter for Minnesota was definitely more just kind of take what the day gives you and not, you know, okay, this is what you're prescribed for today and uh, go get it done. I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier. So you're not coming into Colorado or the NCAA as this like perennial recruit. Obviously, you laid down a pretty nasty mile, but at least on the grass, you didn't quite have the credentials. But from an outsider's perspective, you've always been a guy who's mixed it up. Or I can remember a Nationals meet where you took the lead with 500 to go and you weren't necessarily favored to win. Can you talk about that self-belief you had and when you finally accepted like for yourself that you are a national title contender and how you made that switch in mindsets? Yeah. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a hard question because it's not like a specific moment that I just found that. But so my true freshman year, I kind of made a big jump with, you know, doing year round workouts and stepping into this Colorado program. And I started running some decent times, you know, I ran 7.59 for 3,000. And probably the big breakout race was running 13.44 for 5K outdoor. But again, those times aren't necessarily top of the NCA. But the following year is when I, you know, first kind of started to have some success up front. I finished fourth at the indoor 3000. And if I had to pick a moment that really showed to myself that I was one of the better NCA runners, is probably that race. I finished that day behind, I think it was Edward Cheserek, Justin Knight and Mark Scott, hmm. and I beat some runners that on paper I should not have beaten, and that was, if I actually had to pick a moment, I would say it was that race, my sophomore year in the Indoor 3000, um, and again, it just came down to, Cheserek made a big move, stretched out the race, and I could have either, you know, I was kind of at the break where it was, do I go with the move, or do I stay back, and I, I decided to go with it, and um, I wasn't able to, you know, I was able to hang on for a little bit and fade back but still get fourth. Um, but that was, actually, if I did pick a moment, I'd say it was that race. Awesome. So, Joe, what's next? Uh, obviously, a little time off right now, but looking ahead, and, and I'm both in the near term and long term, this is, of course, uh, an Olympic cycle that we're in now, and then also, I know you're a pretty accomplished student uh, as well, but are you thinking about running professionally? What are, what are your goals going forward? Yeah, so yeah, right now, just a little bit of downtime, just kind of getting the, the legs recovered and ready to start training for indoor. Um, and then, yes, I don't know if 
coach wants me saying what I'm doing indoor, but I have a pretty fun schedule by my standards on, on tap for racing. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. I've always told my coaches that whatever they want me to race, I'll race. I don't really question them anymore like I maybe did a few years ago. But, yeah, so I'll probably try and run the 5,000, 3,000 at NCAs again. I had a really good time doing that last year, and um, I'll look at, to do that again. But Coach has said that this year versus years past, he wants to, you know, he said there's all these fun things you want to do, but at the end of the day, you got to be ready for the NCA meets, and then this year the complication is being ready for the Olympic trials. So it's kind of another big race that you have to be prepared for, and I'm just trusting him to get me to every national meet, every, you know, the Olympic trials ready to go. And that's kind of why I'm just letting them kind of take the reins and I'll just show up and do what they say. We know you are a huge Minnesota sports fan. Can we play a quick round of Twin Cities sports would you rather? Oh, for sure. Love it. Yeah. All right. Would you rather have a Vikings Super Bowl or the Golden Gophers in the college football playoff? That, that's a hard one, but definitely Vikings. Yeah. I've, yeah. Vikings, have, I haven't missed a game in probably 15 years, so. Wow. I've uh, missed many Gopher games. Yeah, so, but I would say that the, uh, the Gophers' success so far this year has to be sweeping the state a bit, right? This has been oh. quite a season. Yeah, no, this this year's been super fun to watch, um, but I would still have to go with the Vikings. Okay, yeah, so you're not like yelling, row the boat as you come through the line at any of the meets or anything? No, no, not <laughs> uh, not that much. Not, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm definitely rowing the boat, but... Yeah, okay. Not, not, uh, not as much as, uh, as I'm, you know, doing the skull chant. Okay, now would you rather have season tickets for the Twins or season tickets for the Vikings? Oh, Vikings for sure. Okay. Um, I already have a kind of, you know, I, I, I get to a decent amount of Twins games, but actually this year is my first year heading to the, the new U.S. Bank Stadium to see the Vikings. But, yeah, I just, I like baseball. It's fun, but I don't think I could get to 81 games yeah. a year. Yeah, I hear that. But that, that uh, Twins Stadium, I was up there a couple years ago, and it's brand new. That is a really nice stadium, a beautiful venue. Yeah, no, Target Field's great. It's a fun place to, to sit out on a summer day. On the Twins note, would you rather have another prime decade of Joe Maurer or Kirby Puckett? So, Kirby was a little before my time, but Kirby won two World Series. Mm -hmm. Maurer never even went to a World Series, so I would would take Kirby Puckett. So, Joe, while Kirby was a little before your time, he was right in my time, so I am with you on the Kirby Puckett. But I did, actually, when I was young, young, I forced my dad to take me down to Kirby Puckett's memorial at the Metrodome. I'd never seen him play. Yeah. But I, I wanted, for some reason, I really wanted to go to his memorial service. So, yeah, Kirby. Yeah, that's neat. Would you rather have Kevin Love or Kevin Garnett finish their whole career with the Timberwolves? Uh, big ticket. You a big uh, Garnett fan? No, Kevin Garnett. Yeah. yeah. Did you go to any Wolves games growing up? Yeah, I went to a lot, and they were very bad most of the years. One year, actually, they uh, 
in elementary school, they gave everyone in my whole school two free tickets to a Wolves game. So wow, that shows about the value of their tickets when I was uh, growing up. <laughs> so fun fact: Kevin Garnett grew up playing basketball on the basketball court in my neighborhood. Really? Yeah, man, Malden, South we Carolina. Have, we used to have this route from our high school when I was when I was running, and it ran by his house when he played for the Wolves. Oh, cool. Yeah, did he have a tiny little house there? Yeah, it was it was really small. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, so I, before we let you go here, I am going to admit to you that we just did an NCA recap <laughs> episode and uh, went through the results, and w- we've both been huge fans of yours. Uh, as Ben and I have talked about this, uh, in many ways, it seems like you represent like this working man's runner. <laughs> That, that we always appreciate. And for some reason, I publicly proclaimed in our last episode that Joe Klecker is everything that I want to be in a man. So we are very appreciative of you joining the show and, and taking some time with us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Enjoy Thanksgiving with your family and back in Minnesota and safe travels back to Boulder. for You got finals coming up, right? Yeah, we do. <laughs> and uh, what, tell me what the exams are. What do you got to wrap up here? Yeah, well, first off, thank you for for having me. It's been awesome. I've never never done a podcast before, so it's been fun. Um, but yeah, finals coming up. This is my fifth year, so it's a little easier, but I have epidemiology, global public health, biology of stem cells, and history of jazz. Nice. Yeah, that didn't sound easy there. At least those first three, man. But history of jazz sounds cool. Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been all right. I got to go to a jazz concert. I had to write a paper on it, so it's something I never really done before. Okay. Do you have a favorite jazz musician? You know, not at this point. If I had to say anyone, probably my uh, my great uncle. He plays in a jazz band, and I get to see him on. He posts his videos on Facebook, so probably him. <laughs> oh, that is that's very neat. Cool. Well, good luck in the finals, Joe. And again, thanks for joining us and congratulations on a wonderful season. We will be rooting for you both indoor and outdoor here this winter and spring. All right. Thank you. Yep. Our pleasure. Take care, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to Mile 45 of the Seconds Flat program. You can contact the show at secondsflat at gmail.com. Unfortunately for Joe, Minnesota lost to Wisconsin in the Paul Bunyan-Axe rivalry game this weekend. One of my favorite trophy matchups. So the Golden Gophers will miss out on the college football playoffs. But his beloved Vikings are still alive and well in the NFL postseason chase. On mile 46, we'll be joined by 2019 Women's World Mountain Running Champion Grayson Murphy. We look forward to talking to you then. Have a great week.